0: I love that song and there's just some songs that are so powerful they grip you and they also just embody a message for a time in the body of Christ and I think this is how I fight my battles is one of them and uh, this week my boys came home and we're talking about a fight that actually broke out at their school not good first week of school Um, I don't know if you've been in a fist fight before I hope you haven't. There was a guy named Ryan in my school. And I remember this one week where we're in the student union building. And Ryan just walks up to this guy. And his right hook pops him in the face. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Okay, so the next week, the very next week, I am walking to class. And I hear, Robert. And I'm thinking I'm going to turn around to see one of my friends. And I look. And it's Ryan leaning forward like this, veins bulging in his neck. And I'm going, oh, this is not going to be good. Now, the thing is, Ryan was about four inches shorter than me. He weighed a little less than me. So I was thinking, this is going to be, you know, I think we might make it. Uh, And then six of Ryan's friends encircle me as Ryan steps up. And man, did it remind me of this song. It might look like I'm surrounded. I'll come back to that story in a minute, (laughs) but I want you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 16, 2 Chronicles chapter 16. We're in the Old Testament today. If you're new to the Bible, the Bible's uh, divided into two halves. The first half is the Old Testament. It really is about God creating man, that man growing into a family, that family becoming a nation, that nation was Israel, and we see how God leads these people, provides for them, trains them, protects them. The next part of the book is called the New Testament. The New Testament is marked by Jesus, our Lord and Savior, showing up on the scene, he is a part of that Jewish people, but then we see that his love and his message and his gospel, which means good news, is for all people, and we see God redeeming through Jesus a people to follow him and to be his family. Today, we're in the Old Testament. We're in a, in a book called Second Chronicles. It's chronicling the journey of the people of God, and it's specifically showing the people of God as they had different kings, Now, a lot of these kings are bad kings. It gets a little discouraging, but where we are in this time in history is where the kingdom of Israel actually has had some bad leadership, and it's divided into two different kingdoms. It's kind of like in the 1800s in our nation. There's the north and the south. The north kingdom is Israel. Say Israel. Israel. That's 10 kingdoms are called Israel. The bottom half is called Judah. Say Judah. There are two different tribes that are Judah and Benjamin. And so they're divided. That's where we find ourselves today in the story. So pay close attention to this. It says, in the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah. So Asa is the king of Judah. That's in the south. That's where Jerusalem is. Basha is the king of Israel in the north and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. So there's Basically, this war going on between them. "'Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries "'of the Lord's temple and of his own palace "'and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, "'who was ruling Damascus. "'Let there be a treaty between you and me,' he said." As there was between my father and your father, see, I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he'll withdraw from me. Benadad agreed with King Asa and sent the commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel. And they conquered Ijon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Basha heard this, he stopped building Ramah and abandoned his work. Then King Asa brought all the men of Judah, and they carried away from Ramah the stones and timber Basha had been using. With them he built up Geba and Mizpah. At that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of king Aram has escaped from your hand. We're not the Cushites and Libyans, a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord ranged throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You've done a foolish thing. And from now on, you'll be at war. Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison at the same time Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. Now, this is an Old Testament story. In some ways, it's hard for us to relate. So let me just bring it into modern times. 2014 in the United States, A study came out, this graph with this data of what was going on in the American church. If we can put that up, that will help us. What we saw in 2014 is that the church is losing the battle for the heart of the nation. The church is losing the battle for the heart of the nation. If you look at these graphics, what you see is it says that the population of Christians is decreasing in America. So we went from evangelical Protestants, it fell from 26.3 to 25.4. Well, that doesn't seem that bad. Look at Catholicism, it went from about 24% to 20%. So it's falling. The mainline Protestants fell from 18% to about 14%. That's falling, but the only things that are going up are people that aren't affiliated with churches. That went from 16% up to almost 23%. And then we see non-Christian faiths actually growing 4.7 up to 5.9. This is what was going on in 2014. Now, our job as the church is to fight the battle, to see the kingdom advance, to see Jesus proclaimed. In 2014, in All People's Church, man, it just seemed like we were skyrocketing. It seemed like we were taking off. It was the second year in a row that our attendance had doubled in a year. It seemed very exciting to me. Our conference that we were having, we were packing it out. These international speakers were coming. Things were going so well, it seemed to us, in in this part of the city that, that wasn't actually growing in population growth, it's very unusual for a church to really grow in an area that's not growing. We had a seminary class show up in a bus to study us. So you can imagine as a young pastor, I was thinking, yeah, what's up now? Let me tell you some of my goals, some of my goals that year, because you might understand it starts kind of relating to the story and how Asa was actually thinking um, I love worship, but here was one of my goals. It wasn't just, I want God honoring worship. I actually said that year, I want the best worship in town. That was the, that was the thing. I was like, I want to, I want to have the best worship team in town. That's what people will think. You can kind of see that's, that's a little competitive with other churches. Um, you know, with preaching, I, I, I study hard and and uh, really seek the Lord on preaching. But you know what I was thinking? I, I would go back and listen to my messages each week, not to, not to go, is this anointed, or not to evaluate my content, but I was doing it because I was trying to get ums, likes, and uhs out of my message. I wanted to get it perfect. I was trying, trying to have my message perfectly eloquent because I thought that's what is gonna reach more and more people. Uh, here's another thing. I was coming up with my, my first book that was actually gonna be published. That's great, right? It's great to get, get the message out. And it was a great, a great message on the partying God, the God of extravagant love and celebration. But here's what I was set on. I was set on having the most popular ministers endorse it. I cared more about how known they were so it would get the, my book to become popular. You, you can see there was some worldly motivation instead of just word of God motives. There was worldly motivation instead of just word motives. And that's what we see in this story as we pick it up. Let's just break it down line by line very quickly. It says this. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. Okay, so they were surrounded. This, they were going to fight a battle, but they were surrounded. So what do you do when you're about to fight a battle when you are surrounded? What are you going to do? What, what, what's going to be the way you fight your battle. This is a lot like the the civil war when two parts of the nations were were coming against each other. This is this is really what it looked like. But so what's the what are the leaders going to do? It says Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace and sent it to Ben-hadad, king of Aram who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you. So what does he do when he's got to fight a battle? He takes from what God has given them and partners with the king of Damascus. Let me say it this way. He makes a worldly alliance. To fight his battle, he makes a worldly alliance. Alliance. Let me just take it into your world. Many of you today are fighting battles. You're fighting a battle in your workplace, right? It's a hard place. Maybe you're being persecuted. Maybe you're not getting the raise you deserve. Maybe you don't like your job. And the question is, are you gonna fight in the world's ways? Are you gonna go make an alliance? Hey, if I just, if I just talk bad about my other coworkers, maybe then I'll get the promotion, Right, Or maybe you're having a financial problem and you're like, you know what, I don't have enough money. Maybe if I just don't pay my taxes... Or maybe if I cut some corners here, or maybe if I do this thing, yeah, it's a little shady, but maybe that's how I can then have enough money. Maybe I won't give to God this month because I don't have enough for that, but but, but maybe I can just do something in the world's eyes, and, and maybe that's how I'll get For you're, you're struggling in your, in your marriage, and you're thinking, you know, well, maybe, I, maybe I'll just, I'm, I'm a little, maybe I'll just kind of, enjoy talking to someone else and just have that kind of emotional, emotional fill up because my spouse really isn't doing it for me. Or maybe I'm just going to lash out in anger and we start partnering with the world. So Asa, he starts going, you know, I'm having a fight, but here's a strong worldly leader and and maybe I can work with him. Maybe you're not married. Yeah, and you want to be so much, and you're like, you know what? Maybe if I just dress a, a, a little more, um, maybe attractively. Maybe I just show a little more skin. Maybe if I just, maybe if I just talk a little more, drawing to people. Are, are we partnering with the world to fight our battles? So that's what that's what Asa does. He makes a partnership with the king of. Damascus, and he sends his silver and his gold, and, and here's the crazy thing. It says this, Ben-Hadad agreed with King Asa and sent the commanders of forces against the towns of Israel. So Asa does that. He, he partners with the world, and guess what? Look at this. It says, they conquered Aizan, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. Then Basha heard this, and he stopped building Ramah and abandoned his work Guys, he partners with the world and guess what happens? It works. Wait, you're, you're like, wait, we're in church. No, you, you do things God's way and that works. You partner with the world and you get destroyed. Wait, what, th- Robert, I thought this was like Disneyland for Christians in here this morning. Every, every Bible story, it always just makes sense. No, can I just tell you that sometimes when you partner with the world, at first it works. Like at, at first it worked, so he he sends the money, makes a treaty, and the king all of a sudden turns and attacks the other guy. And so he was like, "Hey, that was a smart decision. That was good." Can I just tell you, if you don't pay your taxes, sometimes you'll have more money. Right? Uh, if you criticize someone in your workplace, sometimes they'll get in trouble, and you might get the promotion. Can I tell you, if students? If you cheat in school, sometimes you'll get a better grade. Right. Sometimes it works. If you, if you uh, uh, just try to be all um, sensual and drawing something, sometimes you'll get the guy or you'll get the girl. Can I just tell you? Partner with the world, and sometimes it works. Oftentimes it works. And, and that is oftentimes the problem for us. I, I remember, um, well, look at this. It says King Asa, Asa brought all the men of Judah, and they carried away from Ramah the stones and temper, timber. Basha had been using. So there were all these siege ramps built against them. And now it looks like, man, this really worked. Like we actually turned out more rich. They, they not only stopped attacking us, now we're more rich. It, this actually totally worked. I remember uh, when I was a young minister, I went to, uh, so I'm from generation X. Any generation X in here? Awesome. We made it. Like there's six of us that are still in church. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> Our, our generation didn't do too well. And that, here's the reason why. We had something called the postmodern church. There was all this stuff about deconstructing the church. We're bad at the church. We don't like the church. The church needs to be deconstructed. I went to a postmodern conference back in the beginning of ministry. And I'm sitting there with one of these guys. I actually knew this, uh, this, this pastor a little bit. And he starts talking about, well, the problem with the church is the church is too removed from the world. And so we need to mix in with the world. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to just start showing movies in church and just listening to all the secular music. And so he starts talking about this awful rated R movie that, which, that barely could be rated R. It was all based on sexual relationships. And he's talking about how he watched that and we should be able to get godly things out of anything we watch and how his life was impacted by this movie. If I said the title, you would blush. And he's preaching this to a bunch of pastors and I'm like, oh my goodness. Do you know what happened? His church grew. And you know what? A whole group of pastors started doing this and their churches grew and they started writing books and their books were selling. Can I just tell you when you partner with the world, sometimes it works. And I'm I'm looking at this going, "Oh, my goodness." And then you start going like, "Well, gosh, I mean, is this what we should be doing? Is this Now watch this. I love this next part. At that time, Hannah and I, the seer came To Asa king of Judah and said to him you could you could say this at that time Hanani the prophet came to Asa king of Judah can I just tell you when you decide to partner with the world God is so good he always sends a prophet to confront you for some of you today I might be that prophet okay here's the problem with prophets is they're weird They are, the the seers, I mean, the people that see in the spirit, the people that get those prophetic words, they're often weird. And so a lot of times we want to discount them. A lot of times we write them off. We're like, dude, I can't relate to you at all. Plus, it'd be great if you took a shower. Also, you speak in such weird language. Can I just tell you, man, I have, when I have gone off track, God has always sent people Right? In, in, in 2015, I remember, you know, I, I'm, I'm headed down and we're, we're, we're going this way. I, I shared with you some of my motives. And man, some people came to me and they just called me on, Robert, you're focused on the wrong things. Can I just tell you, man, when I was in, in high school and, and I was a Christian, but I was living like the world, I had this one guy come up to me and he just lit, he was a Christian, he lit into me he was like, you call yourself a Christian, but you're always at these parties. And I was like, dude, who are you? You are weird. Right. But he was right. (laughs) Can I just tell you, listen, when someone comes and confronts you, listen, even if they're weird, God is sending that person. Listen to what he says to him. He goes, because you relied. I'm sure he had a weird voice. Okay, prophets have weird, they're weird. Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. We're not the Cushites and Libyans, a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen. Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. This is, this is what he's saying. He's saying, don't you know the history of the people of God? Don't you know? Guys, this is why we gotta be in the Bible. This is why you got to live in this word because you get into a fight and, and, and you have this pressure. Maybe it's financial pressure. Maybe it's a job pressure. Maybe it's, it's a, a sickness pressure. Maybe it's pressure in your marriage, pressure in your family. And, and we just immediately want to partner with the world. We just immediately, if I'm just stronger, if I just come and I, I hit back, if I just had more money, if I was just more impressive, and, and, and the prophet and I is saying, don't you remember? That God, when you depended on God, you totally defeated much bigger armies. That's what God's saying to us today. People of God, don't you remember that there's so many sick people that God has healed? Don't you remember there's so many broke people that God's provided for? Don't you remember from scripture that there's so many broken relationships that God has restored? He's saying, remember, remember, remember. You know, because this is this is what happens. And here's the next verse. He says, this this famous verse. Did you know it was in this context? It says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So many of us, we have that on a little note card. We've written that up and we've underlined that in our Bible, but we forget the rest of the context. It's in the middle of a battle. It's in the middle of being surrounded can I just tell you, when you're surrounded, so oftentimes we just wanna, uh, I'm about to fail the test, and it's so tempting to look at my neighbor's paper. Can I just say, stop, God sees you, wait, right? right? You're, you're, you're in your marriage, and you're like, I can't take this anymore, I just need to get out. And it's saying, no, wait, God sees you. Wait, he wants to help you, right? You're in a financial hardship, and, and you gotta go, wait, God sees you. Wait, God, see, he sees you and he wants to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed Amen. to him. You're, you're in a horrible relational time in your family and you just want to lash out or you just want to leave. You just want to peace out. And God's saying, wait, I see you. I see you in this moment. God sees you. I love Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purposes. Can I just tell you, if you're in a fight today, God sees you. And if you'll trust in him, he's gonna work it out for good. He's gonna work for your good. It might not be exactly how you wanted it, but I promise you it's actually better for you if you let God wait on God. The prophet says, you've done a foolish thing And from now on, you'll be at war. Can I just tell you, when you decide to partner with the world, you forever live in the war of the world. If you partner with the world, you'll forever live in the war of the world. It's only when you wait on God that he lifts you higher. He wants to pull you to a higher level. Asa was angry with the seer. He was angry with the prophet. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. You know, sometimes it stinks to be a prophet. God vindicates you in the end. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed the people of God. You know, um, here's the thing. It, it seems like it's going to work at first when you partner with the world. That, that pastor that was speaking at that conference, can I just tell you? he is no more. Those churches that seem to be growing, partnering with the world, I actually, I don't know any of them that are still going. It might work for a moment to partner with the world, but the war eventually destroys them. You know, people have got, we've got to stop partnering with the world. Even the church we do it. I mean, the church, the church we t- I talked about it last week. We're obsessed with celebrity Christians. We, we still partner with the world, right? And, and just think we do that. I see Christians do that all the time. It's all, we, we have so much mixture in our life. Our motivations can be so mixed. And so that's why I love this next king. It, it brings me such hope. When, when I see this next guy, because we, we we move to the next chapter, and uh, his name is Jehoshaphat. Okay, we're going to look now at Second Chronicles 17 for the re- remainder of our time. His name is Jehoshaphat, and uh, I really love Jehoshaphat because as a kid, I played in a play, and I was Jehoshaphat, and they called me Fat Fat Jehoshaphat. And um, they put me in a robe and then stuffed it with pillows. So I was fat, fat, fat. And I waddled in. And they sang, fat, 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 What a good, good king is he. And, and I walked in. And then halfway through, uh, I call a fast in the play. And then I show back up on scene. And they took the pillows out. And I was skinny. <laughs> and then they didn't know what to call me. They were like, "Jahasha!" Okay. Um, it has nothing to do with the message. But it's kind of a fun story. Verse one, Jehoshaphat, his son, so this is Asa's son. Can I just tell you that you can break away from the sins of your fathers? Like what your parents did does not define you. Now, a few of you had really godly parents, and I love what Jason said, that you get the blessings of a thousand generations, but God is so good that your father was an alcoholic. You're not predestined to be an alcoholic. Your mother divorced your dad. You're not predestined to do what your mother did. They were rageaholics, you don't have to do that. They were drug addicts, you don't have to do that. Can I just tell you that God sets the next generation free when they wait on him. And so Jehoshaphat, his son, succeeded him as king and strengthened himself against Israel. He stationed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and put garrisons in Judah and the towns of Ephraim that his father had captured, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. That's what we need. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father, David, before him, you got to remember David was a king, and David, with as busy as he was, you know. Sometimes people say, "You know, I'm just too busy to seek the Lord. I'm too busy to pray." That's for ministers. That's for missionaries. Can I tell you that David was a king? There's no one more busy than a king with wars and economies, and David had time to write a whole devotional book, best-selling devotional book ever, called the Psalms. Right? And he said, and this is what David the king said, he said, one thing I ask, this one thing I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his holy temple. Can I tell you, if a king can do it, you can do it. If a king can have time to seek the Lord, you have time to seek the Lord. God wants to meet with you. The king of kings wants to meet with you. It's amazing to me. He followed the ways of his father David. He did not consult the Baals. What are Baals? Baals are other gods, but sought the God of the Father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. Can I just tell you, all of culture can be going one way and you can go the other. All the culture can be going one way. You can go the other. You can do it in a place of influence. You say, no, everyone in my business, they just follow the ways of the world. Can I just tell you, no, you can go the other direction. The Lord established the kingdom under his control and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. So he tore down the idols. In the year of his reign, he sent officials, Ben-Hael, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, and Micaiah, to teach in the towns of Judah. With them were certain Levites, Shemaiah, Nathaniah, Zedekiah, Asahel, Shemaiah, if you don't know how to speak in tongues, just repeat this with me. Shemma, Mamorath, Jehovah. Just kidding. Adonijah, Tobijah, and Tob Onadonijah. No one's naming their kid that anymore. Come here, Tob Adonijah. And the priests Elishama and Jehoram, they taught throughout Judah, taking with them the book of the law of the Lord. And they went around to all the towns of Judah and taught the people. The fear of the Lord fell on all kingdoms of the land surrounding Judah so that they did not go to war against Jehoshaphat. What did he he do? There's two main things that I see he did two practical things. Obviously, it says he followed the Lord with all his heart, but how did he do that? Number one, he tore down the idols, he tore down the idols. I was—I had a, a a young man. I was meeting with him this week, and he said, "You know, Robert, why don't you talk more about the the sins you're you're struggling with?" Like sometimes young men are like, "Hey, I don't know if I can relate to him because he doesn't talk about the sins he's struggling with." I said, "Man, I actually do. Like I just did at the beginning of this message, right? Like, but I said, but if you're asking why I don't talk about." pornography like so many men are dealing with or alcoholism or, or yelling at my, my wife or, or, or materialism. Do you know why? It's because I, I do talk about them. I just talk about them from when I was in my 20s because I was dealing with all of those things. But I went and got convicted and I tore down the idols. I went and I tore down. So, so God started convicting me and so I got rid of the opportunities to look at those explicit, those explicit or illicit, whatever the word is, material. I got rid of it. I broke up with the relationship that was causing me to sexually sin. I actually sold my car because I was very materialistic. I put my identity, so I got rid of that car. I actually went and gave away my clothes because I was way too into image. And I'm not bragging on me. I'm just saying, if you, if you want idolatry out of your life, get rid of the idol's. Like, are you willing to tear down the idols? Some of you, I, I just wonder what would happen today if some of you went home and tore down your idols. Okay, like uh, the, so many, um, we've got a generation addicted to pornography. I wonder what would happen. And, and I've, because and actually, I know what would happen because I've seen a lot of guys do this. They just say, I'm getting rid of my smartphone. I'm gonna go to, you know, the old flip phone. Guess what? They get free. Because you tear down your idol and you starve idolatry out of your life. Right. Right. Idolatry is only going to stay if you feed it. Okay? So, it, it, and if you're dealing, so, so me, man, I was dealing with image like crazy. And so, you know what I did for a whole season? I stopped going to the gym and lifting weights because I was so into the idol of my self-image. You know how you get free? You just start tearing out the idols and it starves idolatry. I don't know what it is for you. Some of us just need to stop watching TV all the time and just watch how clean your mind gets because you stop having all the idols in your brain, right? I'm not preaching some legalism. I'm trying to set you free. I just want, I just want you, you tear down the idols and you get free. Second thing you did, it is it says they taught the book of the law they taught the book of the law so you take out the idols and then you feast on this book okay I, I, I think 50 percent of our problems would immediately be gone in this church if everyone was just daily feasting in this word and just saying lord i just want to respond i just want can i just tell you this book will nourish your soul This book will heal your mind. This book will bring peace to your heart. This book will bring righteousness to your life. This book will transform you. And that's what they did. And guess what it says? It says, when they did those two things, tore down the idols and devoted themselves to the book, it says the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that surround Judah so that they did not go to war against Jehoshaphat. That doesn't make any sense. Like, they did something, like I'm in a battle, so I'm gonna do two things. I'm gonna go and tear down my idols and I'm gonna give myself to this book and then everyone else gets scared of me. Everyone else stops fighting me. That, do you understand that does not make sense? So here I was in the hall of my high school with Ryan in my face with his pot, they called it the posse actually, with the posse surrounding me. And you know what Ryan says? He goes, hey, I heard you've been talking about me. And you know what? He was right. But by God's grace, I had enough of Jesus in me to do this. I said, yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm totally, I I have been, I'm totally sorry. Do you know what he did? He didn't know what to do. Right, because what he was used to is getting people's face and taking a swing and them defending themselves and going after them. And so he had no idea what to do when I repented. I said, yeah, you're right. I'm so sorry. He's like. Can I just tell you that when you repent, you take away the enemy's stronghold on your life. Right, so, because what we think is this, what we think is I'm just gonna be in, in a little more sin. I, I'm just gonna go and have one more little escapade. I'm just gonna go get on the internet one more time and, and watch this. So I'm, just gonna have, I'm just gonna go and, and just kind of go and sow some wild oats just a little more and then I'll get away from it. Can I just tell you, every time you partner with the enemy, you give him the key to your temple. And so he has legal access and the enemy has no compassion. He's not like, oh, that's so sweet. They're just having one. He's having one more little fling with me and then I'll let him go. No, he's like, great, I'll take up more. I'll take more of his heart. I'll take more of his mind. I'll set up a bigger stronghold. I'll torment him more. I'll afflict him with more demonic attack. Can I just tell you, that's what the enemy's doing. So every time we just partner a little with sin, you're just giving the enemy more access to your heart, to your life, to your marriage, to your mind. And he just comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. But you know what? When you repent and you say, I'm sorry, God, you're right. Right? You actually set up God's protection on your life. Right? The the Bible says you resist the devil and he'll actually flee from you. So I don't, I still don't understand how this happened to this day. Ryan, bulging neck, looking at my face, posse surrounding me. And I go, yeah, I'm sorry. And he just kind of freezes. And the next moment, out of nowhere, the biggest Christian guy in the whole school pops up. And he's like, Robert! And he opens his arms like this. And he goes up and he scoops up the whole posse. <laughs> I, I sit one guy. Amazing. One guy. He goes, Robert! And he goes, hey, guys, and goes like this and moves them all. You know what I did? I ran. Flee from the devil. Get out of there. Run away. Can, Can I just tell you, you repent, God shows up. You repent, God shows up. It might look like you're surrounded, but you're surrounded by him. You need the Lord to show up, you need the Lord to intersect that I, I am repenting on behalf of the the worldly motivation that I had in leading this church I, we, we are going to be a church built on prayer Amen. we're going to be a church built on this word, whether it's popular or not Good, right I. I I don't, I, we don't need to be a popular church. The church has been growing around America, and yet now they say 80% of people don't have a biblical worldview. Why? Because the church isn't teaching the Bible. We're gonna teach the Bible, even Second Chronicles, okay? We're gonna pray. We're gonna preach the Bible. We're gonna talk about sin. We're gonna do those things. But let me ask you, will you tear down the idols in your life? Will you tear down the idols? And I'm not just talking about pornography and alcoholism and and, and adultery. I'm talking about materialism. I'm talking about judgment. I'm talking about gossip, right? I'm talking about holding grudges. Will you tear those down? Will you stand up with me?